we just did a reading of Bigfoot Takes a Walk, a new play by Liv Schneider. This is the house is open. This is the talk back portion. Maybe this will have a name for it. Maybe we'll think of something really clever in the course of this recording. That's, that's your guys' job. You think of clever names for this segment. Um, I am here with the playwright, the director, and our entire cast. We've got Liv Schneider, the writer. We've got Julia Corbett, the director. We've got Madonna Smith, Brian Tanner, Matt Faldudo, Sharon Faldudo, Melissa Casca, Chuck Dufano, and Stephen Poulter. Did I forget anybody? No, just me. I'm Colin Maddox, your least favorite person to listen to. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're just going to talk a little bit. No. <laughs> so yeah. The, yes. Okay, we got one idea from Brian. Hold on, what is this? All right, the door is always open to talk back. I like that, Brian. We're going to we're gonna that's that's put into the proverbial hat of suggestions i like it um so yeah we just did this (laughs) yeah that's good um so yeah um we've got a few questions for the whole of you and yeah we're gonna get this going i forgot to start my little timer so i know how long this lasts all right so we're already off to the races all right so i have a couple of questions um first off we're gonna start with our awesome playwright live how are you live um i'm good i'm trucking along trucking along right on i like your you're wearing overalls i like that i i like a good overall i think it's a it's a good look it's good for just chilling i just broke my own rule and drank when my mic was live don't listen to me do as i say not as i do um yeah so i want to ask you first off so what kind of was can you tell us a little bit about the genesis for this idea of this play bigfoot takes a walk yeah so um Bigfoot has always sort of been in like my creative sort of like I don't know just sort of that pool that I have in my head um the first time I wrote about Bigfoot I was I think a junior in high school um and I was taking creative writing class and I wrote a poem about (laughs) Bigfoot trying to get uh his girlfriend back because uh she left him for Mothman. Um, And then after that, I thought that was kind of a funny concept. So I kept sort of writing Bigfoot stuff. And then um, my freshman year of college, um, it's just two years ago, I am a child. Um, (laughs) But I, I think it was winter of 2019, I started trying to write a Bigfoot play. And then it got really convoluted because it was about Bigfoot trying to teach someone how to not exist. And uh, it got (laughs) really, really convoluted. So I set it aside. And then last fall, I was taking a playwriting two with S.P. O'Brien. And this idea sort of fell into my lap. I can't remember exactly how, but um, yeah, I mean, B- Bigfoot's sort of always been something that I've identified with or just, yeah, he, he's a real comfort character for me. That's really cool. And I, I like it when they're, I mean, I've talked to a couple of writers about the same kind of thing and there, there's like always a character or a subject or something that they keep coming back to. And it, doesn't fit in so many different containers until one day there's just like an 
something that makes seems very obvious or someone tells you something and you're just like, Oh, that's the thing. That's the thing that Bigfoot goes into. That's the thing that they have to do for a whole play. And then it just kind of clicks. It's a, it's a really amazing moment for a writer. I think um, when you're just like, Oh shit, that thing, like it, it, it feels very good. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. That's just really cool that it was so many different iterations before this. And I like uh, teaching someone not to exist is really funny. And I like how the idea of uh, Bigfoot's girlfriend leaving him for Mothman seems like uh, an idea that also carried around. Because if, if you haven't read the script, it starts with the, the character description for Mothman who's in this play is boyfriend material. And I just love that description of someone because that could mean almost anything. Um, I just love that. Can you uh, read the whole description out loud so we can see what it, what it actually is? What is the whole thing for yeah. Man? I'm just curious. Is, I don't have the really script funny. pulled up. I just uh, got I it. Have it right here. I have it, Colin. Mothman. Okay. Genderless, timeless, wise, scary, familiar, boyfriend material. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I just think it's awesome because, sorry to interrupt, I just, we were talking earlier about the statue of Mothman in South Carolina having abs, like super boyfriend material. Yeah. <laughs> West Virginia. West Virginia, sorry. Yeah, and there's no, sorry for interrupting, anybody can say anything at any time. This isn't a listen back. Um, <laughs> and it's not the, it's not the house is open to Colin's voice. Um, it's the house is open, Melissa, gosh darn it. All right, I'll interrupt more often. Darn tootin' uh, you will. All I right, Madonna. It's an interesting point about the description of Mothman and the stage directions are fantastic. So in a lot of ways, I'm very excited that the very first time I get to participate with this play is in a medium where you get to hear those stage directions actually read out loud. Uh, there's also a Mitch Hedge Hedberg quote at the beginning, which was endearing to me immediately, one of my favorite comedians, um, that I think, if you don't mind, people might like to hear. I think Bigfoot is blurry. That's the problem. It's not the photographer's fault. Bigfoot is blurry, and that's extra scary to me. There's a large autofocus monster roaming the countryside. Run, he's fuzzy. Get out of here, Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> Mitch Hedberg. It's such a great like jumping off point for this. Like, you know, people have their preconceptions about Bigfoot, but really this is just going to be kind of fun. Yeah, that is. And it, it sets the tone very early. I remember when I first got a chance to read the script, I saw that in the beginning. I, one, I read a lot of play scripts and a lot that are unpublished. So it's really interesting to see there, there there's such a thing that, as a writer myself, and we have other writers in this meeting right now, so maybe you guys can confirm. Whenever you like start a draft, I think it's really useful to write something in the beginning of your script too, to kind of remind yourself of what you're writing about. Um, I just wrote a play about lot lizards, so truck stop sex workers. So I had to, I wrote the definition because I realized one, I am one of maybe like five people who knows the term lot lizard apparently, because I've described it to other people and they're like, what the hell is that? Yeah, um, I just thought you were going to talk about actual lizards, and I got super <laughs> jazzed. <laughs> but now that it's about truck stop sex workers, you're like, no. Nah. Oh, I'm still um, jazzed. I think that should sounds still be interesting. They should still be lizards. <laughs> it is. I, the play is literally called The Lizards. Um, it is uh, a very different part of the brain, though. You know, you have to make yeah. the shit. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think to just keep that remind and to keep that, those kind of juices flowing, it seems like such an interesting part of the process and something that is so self-reflective of the writer and, and, and to their process. Um, I also, I wanted to ask um, as well about kind of the, uh, your start live in um, writing plays. You mentioned that you were in creative writing classes doing uh, poetry and stuff like that, but where does playwright seems, and maybe not to the people in this group, but I think to, uh, <laughs> you know, society at large seems like a very, you know, niche thing to be doing. Why does um, your artistic voice tend to lean towards telling stories theatrically? Yeah, so it was actually um, the first time I wrote uh, uh, a play was actually in that uh, creative writing class that I took in high school. And it was like a five page little short play. Um, awesome. But I found myself when I was writing uh, narrative pieces, I found myself really getting excited about the dialogue <laughs> and less so about the, like, the rest of it. So I was like, I sh should just write a play. And I've uh, done theater since middle school and I've done other performing arts stuff my whole life. Um, so just, yeah, it was just sort of a natural place for me to go. And I think it's, uh, I think what's really exciting about it for me is that, you know, with other forms of writing, there's not always sort of a capstone to it or like um and end goal um but with theater there's always this is maybe going to be produced and maybe we'll get to hear people read it and you know we'll get to work on this thing with each other and um I <laughs> I really enjoy working in collaborative settings um so yeah playwriting just seems sort of to be my little niche that I've fallen into. Yeah. I think you can, you see some of that uh, generosity with, you know, uh, there, it can be double cast. There's not an extreme amount of restriction on set or this sort of thing. So a group like Dreamwell can really use their imagination and put it up and feel good about it. And I think, you know, to have that right from the beginning is, is very inviting. Yeah. I think also it works for Zoom. Um, one reason because of the um, the stage directions, um, which are also I, I feel like they're entertaining in themselves. And it's interesting. I think it's a double-edged sword with stage directions for me as a playwright because I know that this isn't going to be read to the normally would not be read to the audience. Um, but I always still did did uh, my stage directions maybe add a little bit of whimsy in there just. Um, if anything, to entertain the cast and director when they're reading it, um, you know, and I know it's a limited thing, but um, since, and I imagine this was written before the pandemic, but um, since the uh, pandemic and I've been doing more virtual readings and such and um, have had some of my plays um, done over Zoom, I've taken more liberty at expanding on my stage directions um, to the point where you know, that um, the narrator or stage direction reader can be their own character in the, in the play, so. Well, uh, that, Brian, I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask Liv this. Are, are the stage directions that are in this script, was that what you created for 
the actual play or did you add more because it was going to be uh, this uh, this this um, online version where we just hear the voices because because I, I think as a playwright too I don't think I would have put nearly as much in there just naturally because I, I just don't but I think I would have to if I were going to do it this way and I thought it was really cool how much you had in there so I was just wondering if that was just what you normally do or if that is uh, not and you added more. Yeah, so I mean with this play, these stage directions have always been really <laughs> like involved. Um, with other stuff that I write, I don't find that the stage directions get as like intricate as the ones in this play do. I don't know what it is about this play, but the <laughs> stage directions in this version actually are <laughs> more refined than they were like the first time I finished this draft I've had to go through during rewrites so many times and like just take like jokes out of the stage directions that were like just for me <laughs> <laughs> leave them in leave them in <laughs> I relate to that so much that is yeah yeah I like I like I mean As... the stage directions are they're for fun they're for you know as someone who stage manages, you know, sometimes I really think, you know, that's a that's a nice reward for the thankless <laughs> job of being stage manager. <laughs> I also want to say that, the, you know, it gets poetic at times. There's this beautiful line in there about peeling paint chip of a structure. I've, I've been thinking about that for days. Like, that is just such a perfect turn of phrase that I can immediately envision it. And if all of us have a different vision, it's still the right, it's still right. I love it. Thank you. I was also going to say, like, I think stage directions can be, like, they can maintain pace in such a way that is very valuable over Zoom because you're not just, like, like, that space would be filled somehow if it were on stage. And so that's a, another way yeah. to, like, keep the momentum or whatever pace you're trying to shoot for in the scene going. Watching so silence like versus listening to silence. Yeah. yeah. Watching it, you understand yeah. what's happening. Listening, you're like, do they have a tech mm -hmm. issue? Yeah, and you can use the poetry of stage directions, like use use your creativity in the writing of the stage directions to help that pace too, which I think is super cool. Yeah. It goes back to that whole thing. And I think um, Annie Baker wrote, uh, said this in an interview at some point, like, we're not playwrights, W-R-I-T-E-S. We're playwrights, W-R-I-G-H-T, which makes a big difference. You're crafting an entire experience, not just the written words. You're trying to make this entire like theatrical thing come together. And sometimes stage directions are a really big part, which is why as a sometimes director, but often just working as an actor, I'm so angry when a director will come in and just be like, so don't even look at the stage directions. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, no, no, they're there for a reason. Um, but I think I wanted to, I think too, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say, I think too, the, the tone of the stage directions can help maintain the tone of the, the script or the right. scene too. Um, sure. Like I said, when I said I was being, I might be kind of whimsical. It's usually when I'm writing, you know, something that should be um, kind of witty or, or, you know, comedic, you know, oh, if yeah. it were a drama or, you know, some, some kind of thriller or something, you know, I may not be quite as um, 
offhanded about things, you know. So yeah. I, I think too, you can also reinforce the tone with the stage directions. And, Absolutely, and the voice yeah. that it's using. And as the playwright, if you don't like it, what's the point in working on it? You're, you 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 want to like it's okay to put things in for yourself if it makes if it engages you into it too. Because I don't know how the other playwrights feel, but I know for me when I'm working on stuff, I feel like I'm just another person. Oh. In room in a lot of scenes and i'm just in the corner just dictating notes of what's happening like i'm very oh. much just kind of like oh these guys are talking and i'm just here to write it all down see um, see colin when i when i write i i'm actually every one of the characters <laughs> playing all of them at once being a, being really just insane about the whole thing but uh i don't know <laughs> yeah. it doesn't differ right yeah do you talk it out because i find oh, myself talking absolutely. in character and I probably sound like an insane person. Um, oh yeah, uh, I think you have to. I think I don't know. I yeah, you have to talk it out. You got to yeah. hear it because it's you hear it. That's the whole point of it. It's not just on a page. That's yeah, so interesting to me. I've never done that before. I, I actually, I haven't either. <laughs> See, oh this is what I love. Like everyone's different. Like yeah. no, but there's I, nothing. I, I there's mean, no right or wrong way to yeah. go about this. Is the yeah, thing. That's so sure. much everybody's process. You know, I've had readings where it's just, uh, you know, hey, can we all just read this so I can hear what it sounds like? But I've never actually, in the process of writing it, talked it out. Well, see, I, I've always been a really obnoxious actor, so that's probably why I do it. <laughs> I'm with you, Matt. Whenever I, I don't write a lot, but whenever I write plays, I um, I become every character. And I, like, look like yeah. a nut, though, like, just in my house, like, playing characters yeah. to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes this with people before and just reading uh that's how you know when you learn to read and when you were reading to yourself as a kid or whatever were you doing voices at a very early age i think you can you know pluck the actors out of the room because they're all like yeah <laughs> everyone had an act everyone yeah. had a voice so sometimes if i get stuck in a scene i'll just start improving it back and forth playing both parts back and forth just to just to get it going a little bit but uh, I think that is when you start out as an actor and then learn how to be mm -hmm. a playwright. That's that might sure. be where it comes from. Yeah. I have a, a procedural question for our hundreds of thousands of podcast listeners, which <laughs> is, um, I'm not sure we've all identified ourselves. Are we, oh, as a cast, right. going to say like, "Hi, oh. I'm I'm Sharon Feldudo," because we just heard these wonderful conversations, and I'm not 100% certain everybody who's listening is going to know who said <laughs> each person. Each yeah, maybe we should record that as like a bit that we throw into the beginning before. Yeah, I was thinking too, maybe you oh. should say like with assistance moderating from so it doesn't just sound like I'm trying to take over. Oh yeah. By the way, um, I'm Sharon Faldudo and I play the role of the Loveland Frog. Hi. <laughs> There's Sharon. Um yeah. Hey, good practice. All right. Let, yeah, let's let's how about we we're gonna do this out of order because the first one I feel like our listeners are gonna have like lowered standards. So let's just do it. Yeah. Now. Um, because I like this vibe we're in. So let's mm -hmm. start with our playwright and director and then we'll move through the cast. Cool. Um I'm Liv Schneider. Um I I wrote this play. What? Uh, <laughs> I did. All right. I'm Julia Corbett. Um, I actually don't know if I've spoken all that much during this talk back so far, but I was the director. <laughs> Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna ask you questions. I promise. No, it's I just haven't. I'm not a playwright, so I don't have anything to contribute. That's I've fair. written one play, and I didn't actually write any lines in it because they were a collection of lines that were submitted to me. So 
That sounds yeah. really cool, though. That doesn't make you uh, a playwright. I love that in a wow. group of people, you say, I'm not a playwright. I only wrote one play. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. It was a class assignment. And then my English teacher was also our drama director. And she stole it and threw it on stage and then told me day of auditions that I was the director. So I had to cast while auditioning That's for the funny. other show. Yeah. You're right. so well suited for Dreamwell already. That's yeah, so really fantastic. <laughs> um, and we've so got, true. who is our Bigfoot? Bigfoot, introduce yourself as the, as the man, not the part. Uh, hi, I'm Stephen Pulchard and I played Bigfoot. All right. Ronnie. Hello there. My name is Melissa Casca, and I play the part of Ronnie. Awesome. Uh, Benny? Uh, I'm Matt Feldudo, and I play the part of Benny. And we got Brenda Gregorny. Brenda Gurney. Gre <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Chuck Stefano. I played Brenda and Gregorny. I'm also just noticing now, Chuck, quick diversion. You got a little bit of this goatee working, and it looks really nice. I haven't seen it. Looks you really good, it looks really good, So it looks great. Nice. Yeah. I wanted to, I'm going to slip in a nice vein, a nice appearance compliment to everybody. I complimented Liz's overalls, your goatee. We're going to get to everybody, hopefully. I'll send you some suggestions. I know it's difficult. I'll, I'll come up with it. <laughs> um, Too many good features. So. Yes. Um, Sharon, you introduced yourself, but do it again for fun, for the love. Hi, I'm Sharon Feldudo, and I play the Loveland Frog. Awesome. And our multi-talented uh, Brian, I don't even remember all the parts you played. Um, I'm Brian Tanner. I played Bill, a um, couple of uh, radio voiceovers, and uh, Mothman, so I'm trying to branch out and play boyfriend material. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Madonna. I'm Madonna and Smith, and I played um, Gody, the obnoxious child, and uh, the Baya. The Baya. Um, yeah, so that's all of us, dear listeners, so now you know who we are when we're speaking. Um, yeah, uh, Madonna, did you have a question for people at large? I don't want to hog all the questions. Madonna no, is also co-moderating this talk back with everybody. Oh, I, you know, I I think my question would be directed for you, Colin. Um, oh. This is your brainchild, and you came up with this great idea, and uh, I'm so grateful that you brought it to us. I love it. But, you know, what, what was the impetus for your... Um, yeah, I have... So there are about a bazillion podcasts out there, uh, and they're all great. Um, no, uh that's a line in Parks and Rec. To someone. They're all yeah. great to They're someone. They're all great. There is, if you can think of the most obscure subject, there's a podcast for that. Um, and there are quite a few that kind of center on reading, uh, doing kind of staged readings of new plays. Uh, there's one uh, oh, called Sound Stages that's done by Playwrights Horizons. There's one called The Green Light, which is a really cool show that's just run by two um, actors out in LA. Go check them out. They're really cool. The Green Light. Um, so I figured why not have one of these, but put a kind of, um, Iowa spin on it and do produce works by Iowa writers, um, and, and local writers using local talent, because I think a, a cool juxtaposition is that, um, podcasts kind of, uh, democratizes, you know, a lot of different things you were able <laughs> through podcasts and through this platform, 
because it's it's distributed via the internet you're able to get um, a lot of really cool different perspectives on stuff and have access to a lot of things you normally otherwise wouldn't and the spreading out of theater is something I've always been trying to make in a way that is still kind of theatrical but is also something that you don't necessarily have to be in the room for to enjoy. And also just doing this out of necessity. I had to right. do some theater during this time, yeah, like right. in some capacity or else I was going to, you know, go mad. Um, right. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And uh, I love working with Dreamwell. I've worked with them on several productions. You guys have been nice enough to produce my work and, and cast me, I'm sure to the show's detriment in some of your shows. Um, so yeah, uh, I just Colin love tries working to with you say guys. He's not an actor. Colin tries to say he's not an actor, but he's done Pinter. So you're that you're in. You're done. Um, uh, so I really uh, I love this idea. It's perfect timing with the pandemic and everything. And I'm with you. One of the things that excites me the most is this levels the playing field. You know, speaking of Pinter and the famous people that we we gravitate to all the time. Um, you know, it's great to get some fresh new voices and here's some different stuff it's very exciting so thank you again for bringing this to us and uh, I, this is the first of many great shows i'm sure oh well thank you so much I, for i just doing want it. to note yeah go ahead sharon just one of the silver linings of this particular year has been a more more accessibility in some ways to theater Mm -hmm. And so it's beautiful that we have our little Iowa City theater that now our friends and family and people we've never met who live in Tokyo can listen to. And we have also had the ability to see productions that were staged in other places, whether it's a recording of an old production or a Zoom, Zoom production of a current production. So yeah, accessibility is a great thing. So Anything I else? I think it's interesting, you know, uh, we have Matt and Sharon Faldudo here, and they are two of the founders of Dreamwell, and here we are 20-some years later, and I'm sure this is a very different vision than you had the first time the four <laughs> of you were sitting around chit-chatting about it. Uh, I'm glad you're here. How do you, how do you, you have any thoughts or feelings about this juxtaposition or? The juxtaposition of? Uh, what you started with and where you're at right now on, on a video doing a reading instead of, you know. Well, what's kind of fun is that a podcast is, it's like a radio play, right? It's not, it's not really a new thing. This is yeah. like just doing a radio play. And, right. you know, just like other people in this meeting who never wrote a play except for that one time they wrote a play. Um, I wrote a radio play when I was in college at the <laughs> University of Iowa, which was before a heck of a lot of you were born, which is a little bit weird. Um, some of you are the same age as my daughter. Um, so I, I love that. I mean, podcasts are kind of a new thing, but they're also kind of an old thing because they're, yeah, they're yeah. basically, we've done a radio play. Yeah. We've done. Sure. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that, really excites me about this whole thing. Um, you know, y'all know that I, I retired from Dreamwell and, uh, and moved on because I wanted That's it to not- That's what you think. <laughs> and then I'm back, but no, no. But, I, but I, I retired from being any sort of in charge of it. And, and, I, and I really wanted to do that because the important thing for any theater is for new voices. And that's what really is exciting about this is to have um, 
the, this new generation of voices putting their shows out there, directing them. It is exciting to me uh, as the old guy here uh, to, to see that. And, and I'm, I just, I hope it keeps happening. We keep going with new voices and making new theater. And uh, you guys have a completely different perspective than when, when I was 20 years old. And that's important and valuable. And I, uh, I love it. I love it. And I think I was in that radio play that Sharon did in college. <laughs> Were you? Wasn't that, didn't I do a part in that, that gingerbread thing? You must have been, because you remember yeah. it. Can I just say for the listeners, Matt and Sharon are in the same house, but they're ta having a, a conversation between the two of them over Zoom. Just that's what's happening sure. right now. And that's it's funny, 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 funny. We that's, have also been known to have conversations over Facebook. That's nice. <laughs> that's true. nice. Yeah. Um, my wife deleted her Facebook, uh, so I can't be cute like that anymore. So be my avatar. Um, uh, I have a couple of questions for uh, our director, Julia. Um, what's up, Julia? Hello. We've worked together on a couple of productions, and you're a joy to work with every time. So when you were willing to do this, it was kind of a flash in the pan to get it going. So I was so excited that you had done this, and that also you had worked on the script uh, before, because this was a production over at the University of Iowa, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. We actually, it opened just about a month ago. Um, and it was a recorded production and I was the sound designer. That's awesome. So how has this experience been different and how does it kind of compare, um, for you as a collaborator and an artist yourself, uh, being the director in this, is there anything that you did differently? We're hoping to do differently. I don't want to like troubleshoot. We've already recorded the thing, but, uh, <laughs> how, do, how do the two experiences kind of compare? No, yeah, it was actually interesting because um, uh, just in the same way that I'm not a playwright, except for the one time I did it, I'm not often a director. Um, I've only done that a couple of times as well. Um, and when I did the production at uh, the university, I had actually never been a sound designer before. Um, and it was a lot of new things. And I think in a way that um, it really opened up what we could do um, because I didn't feel any limitations because I didn't know any better. Um, and ignorance is a freeing thing. Um, and I'm stealing this from Orson Welles, by the way, if you see anything about Citizen Kane in this, that's what he says about that movie. Um, but, and, and so I could actually approach this production in a similar way um, to sound design, just that instead of manipulating these sound bites over audacity on my computer, I'm, I'm messing with the voices and the people in the show. Um, and it, it was a little bit easier for me, I think personally as a director um, than normal because I don't need to give motivations and things. I can just ask for exactly the way that I want it to be spoken or what needs to be done for the production to go um, in the direction that we're looking for and it just turned out great. It was perfect and everyone was so willing to take on everything and it just worked out really well, I think. I hope everyone else listening thinks as well too. <laughs> Julia, uh, you mentioned the voices and um, I think that's an interesting thing to touch on. Uh, people reading it uh, again, like what voices do you read when you're reading things? And um, between you and Liv, I think there was a very conscious choice to um, not make the creatures sound fantastical. What was your motivation with that? Or, or is that just always how you imagined it? Is it something that you learned when you put it up last time? How did you come to that decision? 
Yeah, and Liz, if you want to speak on this too, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You look like you're ready to say something, so. I was. Um, that's always been a feature of this play. Um, in the production notes um, in the script, I, I think this was in the original draft. If not, it was in the like first and a half draft uh, that the cryptid shouldn't be like costumed. Like when we were. Uh, talking about uh, design elements uh, for the university production uh, earlier in the fall, uh, we were like, well, are we going to find <laughs> like a Bigfoot suit? And I was like, no, he's just going to be a guy. <laughs> um, I, I think it's important uh, to me with this script. And I think with a lot of my work that every character is sort of on equal ground to be taken seriously at least you know to the extent that they're not being played as a gag um Love it. Love and that. so I was like really uh uh cautious about you know making these characters who are like you know they're fantastical mythical creatures um I was really cautious about not stepping over the line of like fantastical and cartoonish mm-hmm. um, because I th- like Bigfoot's a self-insert character yeah <laughs> so I was like well if I'm gonna you know work out my emotional shit in this script <laughs> you know maybe <laughs> maybe I mean, it would be helpful itself, it, it does amplify the allegory a lot more it's it's less distracting it's it's more pure it's cleaner yeah um, another thing that i've sort of realized um i realized this summer that um i came to the conclusion that i'm trans and <laughs> when i started writing this script i didn't know that yet um but i guess subconsciously i did because i went back to start doing rewrites for the university production and i was like oh this is a play about being trans um and figuring that out um and i originally with a lot of the cryptids uh had mentions of like oh this character is non-binary or oh this character is genderless like mothman still has that in there um so it was important to me also with those that if i was going to ascribe them you know like non-binary genders it was important to me to not dehumanize them any more mm-hmm. than they already are by virtue of being uh, cryptids. Sure. So, yeah, I think that's. I that love is. that Mothman has been called Mothman by society, but he's referred. They are referred to as they. <laughs> I think that, that is just a a nice subtle reminder message without you know being too over the top of anything. It's just just because Mothman has moth in their name doesn't mean they go by man, right? Right. And I I, I got like. It was so amazing to me, the through lines throughout the piece and the allegories there. Like, it, it could apply to many mar- marginalized groups. The cryptids could, um, you could talk about it being ethnic or, or, or racial marginalized groups, people of color or anything like that. So the fact that um, they're kind of av- a- uh, avatars for people in the LGBT community, I think is really amazing. And I think it's one of those things that kind of seems so genuine and how the the cryptid characters talk about themselves that it's like impossible to disagree with anything and it's so it's so 
empathetic the way it's written and they're so i mean it seems obvious because that's how the characters would describe themselves i don't know but it was just it was very pure and it made like perfect sense and also that kind of ties into this idea of there's a lot of like i think kind of very subtle references to gender the, the place set in the late 60s so kind of in the proto like women's lib era um which i really kind of like but also it's got this amazing historical significance to isn't like were the late 60s and maybe you can help with this was that when the like the famous pictures of bigfoot were coming out and like yes okay <laughs> so i think those the i forget what the footage is called but it's like the iconic like grainy black and white footage of bigfoot allegedly uh walking through the forest um those came out in 1966 or 67 i want to say and then mothman was discovered in uh 67 or 68 so i was like oh this is the perfect time to do this <laughs> yeah um, wait, I, wait. go ahead oh, i was just gonna ask a question liv do you believe in Big bigfoot exists i feel like we need to ask this question that's a great question um yes and no um <laughs> good answer <laughs> perfect answer i think i mean you know if you go out to like a really big national forest there's no way you can know everything that's in there um i you know i'm not like a big bigfoot conspiracy theorist or anything but i'm not <laughs> i'm not like counting anyone out i like Bigfoot's probably out there, but I'm I'm not gonna not gonna you know say anything definite. There are plenty of mysteries in the world, and that's what makes it fun. Yeah. It does it does make you wonder, societally speaking, in the late 1960s, what was going on that made people want to see these cryptids? Reality. They were looking for fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, 1968 was like one of those years, right? That that mm -hmm. everything changed. Everything went to hell. But I definitely so, think yeah. there is a correlation with identity there, Sharon. I think that's what you're getting at. I think yeah. that, that's mm -hmm. definitely, you know, um, what what do you what do you believe I am, and what am I actually, and what is your perception, and how is that making it so that we can't move forward? Um, you know, that that's that's important. Well, and it's so amazing because it, it permeates things outside of the cryptids. There are real, like, I see that too in the relationship mm -hmm. between, like, Ronnie's place in the world, which is what yeah. I wanted to lead into um, with Melissa. So it's there's that scene with Bill where it's like he is very clearly kind of gaslighting her and, and like, mm -hmm. the modern term. I want to know what the 1960s version of, I was thinking about this the other day, like, what's the 1968 version of mansplaining? And I'm like, oh, it's just how guys talked back then. It's, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> um, it's just men talking. Uh, <laughs> God, no. we suck. We were the worst. Um, uh, but uh, And then also, you see that kind of in the relationship with Benny and Ronnie, mm -hmm. in that, like, I think, and Matt, you might have to help me with this, and I don't know if this is how you saw it, but like, I think on a certain level, Benny thinks thinks he sees Ronnie as his equal, but there's like that implicit bias for the time where he just can't understand her um, impulses or her motivations or stuff. But also that great scene with Bill, where he's like, "Nah, little lady, you gotta, you don't know it's, you must be having an, an uh, a fit or something like that." I read that the first time I was like, oh man. Um, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, did you pick I, up on that, Melissa? Or 
Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, I definitely read it as if I was being assaulted in a way or like as I mean, as anyone at a gas station in the middle of Idaho might feel like when some random person very comfortably approaches and tries to take power out of nowhere, you know, he comes up and just immediately tries to like save the damsel in distress so to speak and like but even before that actually he didn't even know that bigfoot was there and he was already trying to save the damsel in distress you know like with the car being broken down and i think mm -hmm. ronnie's whole character i mean she is so i mean i, I i'm trying to find the right word she's i i forget sometimes reading her that she's living in a time that's so much different than right now. And so that's a really, really crude reminder. I mean, not that it's much different from right now in a lot of ways, but like you see her, you open this play with her just like doing her thing and, you know, being a scientist. I mean, she's giddy and she, she might be a little quirky and maybe just an odd duck and just general, but, you know, I didn't, it, reading it the first couple of times, I didn't realize how much of a difficulty and how isolating it would be being a woman, especially at that time, especially doing something like hunting a Bigfoot or looking for Bigfoot, like you're, you're not going to make a lot of friends and you're not going to have a lot of respect. People aren't going to want to trust you or believe you. And it would probably be in reality, very difficult for someone like her to you know, deal with all of that. And she'd probably be very, very guarded all the time as soon as somebody came up to her to try and take care of her. Because I know as a woman, I feel that way a lot. I'm always ready to be like, no, I can do it. Nope. Don't, don't help me. <laughs> I got this, you know. But right. definitely resonated with me in that scene about um, safety, right? She's, she's supposed to feel unsafe with Bigfoot, who she's riding across country with and who is a total sweetheart. And this well-intentioned person is coming up and is actually making her very afraid because she's, yeah. you know, I'll get my gun and let me take over and- Well, and he literally grabs her at some point. She has to break from his grip. Yeah. Um, just yeah, totally crossing and reading that line. That, in reading that part, yeah, I felt a little bit of creepiness in, in my perspective of it because it seemed not necessarily like an altruistic motive for helping her out, but more like, oh, this is my end to talk to this pretty lady kind of a thing. And I'll save, I'll take care of your truck and, you know, who knows what's going to happen later. So that's, you know. I don't know. And maybe that's just part of the, the times today. But um, that was sort of the feeling I got from reading that character. If that, Hopefully that's what was intended, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the first time I got feedback yeah. on this play, uh, the person giving me feedback was like, Bill is such a creep. And I hadn't <laughs> realized that when I was writing it, I was just like, oh, this is just how creepy men on the side of the road are. And then I got feedback and they were like, Bill is terrifying. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, a lot of Ronnie's character sort of, and she still, like, as I keep working on this play, um, she's, still her arc is 
it, it eludes me. I am going to be so excited when I finally figure out what's up with her. Um, I think you're doing a, a really good job. I, I wouldn't, don't sell yourself short. Like she feels very full because what I do. Thank you. I said solid. Sorry. Oh yeah, solid. I, I thought you just said my name and I was like, well, sorry, mom. Like, uh, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I think you're right. Liv, I, 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 I'm sorry to, to, to be the, to be the one to say, but, but, but you do need to, you do need to look at her arc. Cause that felt like that to yeah. me is that there, she, there, I, I didn't quite get her arc either. And I think that's really insightful of you to, to think about that. And I encourage you to keep yeah. doing that. For a long time, uh, there was a plot line where she is trying to, uh, get inducted into this cryptozoology society and then I had to add, like, I was going to have to add a, a whole bunch of other characters. And I was like, there's already too many characters. Um, so I think I'm sort of coming to a place where I'm realizing that her arc is intertwined with Benny's arc. And um, I, I, I'm looking for ways to sort of make both of their arcs feel a little fuller. And I'm, re I'm really excited to work on that in the future. Um, look at look at her arc in, in with... Uh... Bigfoot and the loneliness piece of it. Yeah. Because right? they're yeah, so lonely. They're, Both of they're them. Like so, yeah. parallels for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely filled in some blanks with with her background just for my own like to create the completion in my head of her character. So like I don't know if I'm like if I read her the way that you had imagined her, but I definitely saw her as a very like strong individualistic person who likes to break the rules in a lot of ways like she doesn't like to go with the flow and I mean the thing that resonated so much with me is is the like enthusiasm but like the the guarded sort of like the the wall she has up she's she's so ready to to engage with something she's so passionate about it she loves it but she can't get to it because she's got so many fears that she's so blind to like she's got something definitely, that she needs yeah. to, to work out um and i know it definitely in my head it was something with benny like he 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 made her doubt herself somehow some something in him oh, like is yeah. a power thing that's how i read it anyways the the way i was filling in the blanks is she 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 knows herself, or at least one time she knew herself, or thought she did, and then she worked with Benny at some point, and then somehow she lost her way, or felt like she got absorbed by him and lost her identity with that relationship somehow, and so she's very scared to work with him again because she's afraid that he'll yeah. overwhelm her once more and take over and she will lose herself again. Oh, that's yeah. super so. cool <laughs> to hear yeah. that. Yeah, that's like sort of, I think, where that backstory is going. I still haven't worked out the details, but yeah, definitely that sort of a thing. And it's interesting that you say that because, um, I mean, I, I think every character in any story ever is in some way a self-insert of the author, but I think <laughs> like yeah that's something that I struggle with is sort of like getting absorbed into friendships and stuff um and yeah I that's really cool to hear that that you were picking up on that um 
Yeah, so yeah, I think you've got a really cool. Yeah, I think she's a really cool character. I really like her. So I think it's exciting that, you know, there's more to come with her. To, to me, the, the key understanding of, the, of uh, Benny and Ronnie is when uh, he says to her, I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't, what, what do you want? What, he's told her, she, I'm sorry, she's told him, I think, what she wants many, 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 many times, and he don't get it. He is just so wrapped up in himself that he doesn't understand. So if you want an arc for Benny, have him figure it out at some point because he uh, he's a he's a dumbass. I'm sorry. He is. He's really stupid. <laughs> I, I I was getting to the end of this script reading it the first time, and I'm like, is Benny gonna accidentally find Mothman? Are we gonna be able to see what Mothman does to someone like Benny? Mm. I wanted it to happen. I'm okay that it didn't. I don't. I'm not telling you how to edit your play. Um, but that's a I, that's a bonus feature. On that's the a bon. We're gonna. I'm it's a deleted scene. Yeah, the sequel is just Benny being sequel. disemboweled by Mothman. I'm waiting for the sequel where the the boyfriend's the girlfriend stealing happens, and somehow Benny's involved in that, and he get yeah. It's, yeah. it's all it writes you know. Um, I want to touch on real quick. Uh, I think the uh, uh, an appropriately or maybe undersung hero. Um, in this script, which is the dual parts of Brenda and Gregory. Um, Chuck, you did such a wonderful job with that. The, those Beautiful. Characters. I, I, so I have a two-part question. I have a, I have a, well, I have a question um, for Liv and then a quick thing for uh, Chuck as well. Liv, why are those two parts, it says very explicitly in the script that those two should be, <laughs> like, thank you, Stephen, did his clapping uh, emoji. I just noticed that right now in the chat. That's awesome. Um, why are those two parts, why did the, they have to be played by the, the same actor? I can't remember how I came to this conclusion. They used to be two separate characters. And then I think it was because I was workshopping it in undergrad workshop. And I asked a question about like double casting because I knew that that was something I was interested in with this play. And then um, somebody <laughs> I think brought up that, well, maybe Brenda and Gregory could be played by the same person. And then uh, I was like, oh yeah, they could. Like, cause she tells them how to find Gregory. And then now in my brain, it's become uh, they're literally the same person and Brenda is just like Gregory and drag. Um, and there's no other reason for that than I think it's funny. <laughs> that's, I think that's perfectly, a, a perfectly justifiable reason too, because it is hilarious. And also it, it, it also lends to the, both of the characters a little bit like, there are some characters in this who you can see just don't connect with the main groups. I don't think... <laughs> yes, paternal twins, yeah. Um, I like that. Um, there are some people who just don't connect with the, um, the the main characters. There are people like Bill and Gody and to a certain extent, Benny just don't understand why um, Bigfoot is doing what he's doing and why Ronnie is doing what they're doing. Um, Brenda, uh, I'm sorry, Julia, what is that that you sent in? You can say it. I just figured I should mention for anyone that's listening, Brenda is the waitress. Um, oh, yeah. Because uh, I don't think she's referred to by name at any point in the dialogue. Oh, no, thank she's you. Not. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, that is important. Brenda that's is the waitress. Point, yeah. Um, and if you forgot who Gregory was, you weren't listening. Um, 
but <laughs> because oh. <laughs> that is a, a marathon of a performance. Um, and I just think Gregory seems in touch with all of the cryptid things that are so magical about this. So it feels like he's part of kind of that community as well. And that's just in the writing. But um, Chuck, uh, I've worked with you as an actor a couple times or just maybe the one time, but I've seen you act in a lot of things. How do you approach as an actor and I know this is just a reading, but as an actor doing dual roles, especially ones that hop uh, gender. Take a look and see, like we just talked about, what, what, what would be the connection here? Um, actually, Brian suggested in the chat box, paternal twins, I had thought about that. Maybe they're twins separated at birth kind of thing, but I think they're, and then Lizzie gave me the, given me the, um, I mean, Liv had given me the suggestion that maybe the same person. Um, I think that Gregory does want to help um, Ronnie to find Bigfoot. So he just made sure he was available at the, mo at the moment to get that, make that connection happen with um, when Benny and, and Ronnie are in the, in the, in the, uh, in the diner. Unfortunately, things kind of go awry when it's Benny who get, picks up the napkin and so on. And then that's what makes for more fun in the play, of course. But I think that's kind of I mean, how their, their connection. Um, if I can say, I thought that um, Gregory, I'm sorry, Gregory had a, had a, um, the characters, a number of characters in this play deal with their loneliness. It comes up a number of times, like Bigfoot and um, and um, Ronnie to a certain degree and Mothman. And I think that Gregory also has his loneliness, but he never actually um, surrenders to it, if you want to say. He's too busy. He prefers it in a way. He's one of the characters that actually doesn't mind it. And he has his mind on so many other things, other projects, and he's continually finding things to do. So I thought that was, it, it, had, its, it, it had its place in this play too, uh, how some characters are trying to find a way out of their loneliness. Others had already dealt with it and we had one that it didn't matter at all. And I think that was an interesting um, um, mention of each of all that I'm sorry, I'm babbling now, I guess. When no, you're not. You're, you, you're making perfect sense. And I think um, another connection there is that you see it with the cryptids, all of the cryptids, um, and Bigfoot struggle is certainly central, um, but you see it with the Loveland Frog and Mothman and Gregory being the only one who, to use a term, like is the only human among the bunch, so to speak. Um, but then it's so clearly stated that like the, the, the cryptids are more human than some of the human. But I think that that's an amazing thing about this script as a whole is that it, it takes semi-human like cryptids and the guy that everybody thinks is crazy as shit to teach you the most human lessons that there are. Um, and I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful juxtaposition and says so much about human nature and the journeys we kind of go on. Um, it's really, really a cool uh, through line that every time we read the script gets made more and more apparent. And um, it's handled so beautifully throughout the dialogue. And then also so comically with Gregory. Um, I haven't, I've had to put my thing on mute so many times 
right after he says the inauguration of Grover Cleveland. And I had a stage direction to read right after that. So I'm like laughing my face off. And then I have to talk about other stuff real quick and try to retain the professional, my professional stage direction voice. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really amazing. It was um, amazing. Thanks. I really well, agree. I agree with you about the um, importance of the Gregory character. Gregory is the, um, the cryptid that everyone sees, right? I mean, how many people in society feel like they are made out to be the other? And, you know, you either are tortured by it or you embrace it. And I think Gregory just embraces it and is like, this is who I am. So, you know, I, I don't have time to feel alone because I'm busy doing stuff. And if I do feel alone, you know, I, I deal with it. And I think, you know, I don't care who you are, whether you've talked about that out loud or not before with a group of people, everyone can identify with that. Most definitely. Yeah. So, and it totally negates the idea of others. Like if everybody feels that mm -hmm. way, then there are no the others. It's just, and that, I think it's the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a really beautiful way to put it. And uh, yeah, it's a really great script live. You should be really proud. Oh, um, thank you. You guys should all be proud of the work you've done in this. Um, I want to finish it off with one quick question because we're nearing an hour of talking. And I was like, I remember thinking like a half hour is a good length for this. Like oh, we'll, yeah, we'll get everything. Hour, in it. So Colin with playwrights. <laughs> I know. I, There's just so much to discuss. It's such there a rich is. And, and we're all theater nerds and we don't get to talk about it much. So here we are. Um, this is really, I gotta say, this is really stroking my ego because this is what I do in the shower at night is I'll like interview myself about my plays. I'll Dude. be like, so where did this come from? <laughs> Me too. I, um, I've perfected my Charlie Rose voice so I know like what it's going to sound like when he, I'm eventually on his show. Um, How many people here practiced reading the shampoo bottles when they were 10 or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I think there's at least 12 minutes of ums to cut out. So we're down to 45. All right. Well, I want to ask kind of a big question. Um, and Liv, you've kind of stated that you want to keep working on this. And I, I think it's, it's great to use this um, format too. Another benefit to, I think, doing this as a reading and stuff is that you get, and talking about it is that you can almost use it kind of like as a workshop. Um, which is a really valuable experience for a writer, I think, uh, and, and getting other people's perspectives in there. But to talk specifically, the play kind of ends with a decent amount of uncertainty for a lot of characters. Um, you know, there is kind of this idea that will Bigfoot be able to kind of quote unquote find himself and, and be able to live with the lonely as he puts it? Um, and will Ronnie be able to find some kind of peace with her self-sufficiency that she lives with? And kind of all these things, all these things kind of, it, 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 there are some loose ends. And I, I don't mean that as a negative. I think it's, it's, it's very courageous to, I know for my own thing, I always want to try and put a little bow on everything and be it so there's no questions when someone finishes reading something of mine. Um, but how do you reconcile those ideas of like, how do you know when to like step away and just be like, no, we're going to end it with this moment of grace with Bigfoot dancing, which I so want to see on stage because I think it would be a really beautiful ending moment. Um, but how do you kind of, how do you fight the urge to want to like finish everyone's storyline, so to speak? Yeah, um, I think part of that, um, 
is that sometimes it's really hard to come up with endings for things. <laughs> so it's really easy to just yeah. be like, oh, and who knows what's going to happen next. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, with this play, I this ending was one of the first things that I wrote. Um, I actually <laughs> wrote it. I was driving uh, somewhere probably go get coffee or something and uh Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel came on the radio and I was like this is what the ending of this play sounds like um that's really wow and then I went home and I wrote the ending of this uh and yeah I mean I think also this is definitely like what I call it in my head is like a therapy play like it it came out of, you know, I had just started going to therapy. Um, and so one of the things that I was working on that I'm still working on as a person is sort of uh, accepting that there are what ifs and you know, like, you know, there's no endings really to anything. Um, so I, I think what I really enjoy about this ending and about sort of the ambiguity is that like, yeah, there's no definite, like, huzzah, we've done it. <laughs> but there is a lot of, like, okay, now we have something to work off of. Um, and so I think I find a lot of peace and a lot of comfort in that sort of a thing. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, well, guys, this has been really great. I think we're going to, uh, unless Madonna, if you have more, I don't want to, like, step on your toes. Do you have any more no, questions? No, I was, I was just going to let you wrap it up. I think everything has been said. It's great. And feel free to cut anything that you, you know, to narrow it down. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, everything has been, nothing more needs to be said on this topic. We are done. Um, just be very, mm about it no uh this was really fun guys thank you all so much for doing it thank you to live for the script thank you for julia for directing thank you to the entire cast for coming in and starting this weird thing and thank you to our theoretical listeners i'm not speaking to anybody in particular right now but thank you guys for tuning in uh we're gonna keep doing plays like this uh we've got a couple coming down the pike but if you are a writer and you want to have your if you are a local iowa city writer and you want to have your stuff read by us, you can send scripts to plays at dreamwell.com and we will give them a read and get back to you. This is an ongoing project. We want as many local scripts in as we can uh, because if we don't get a bunch in, then like Brian and Matt and I are going to have to start doing our plays and that's going to seem really egotistical because we're board members. <laughs> and... I'm with it. I'll fine with it. Matt's not a board I, member. I, I'm not a board member. I got no, okay, 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 good. <laughs> Yeah. I want to say thank you to Colin for bringing us this idea. It's been really great. It's been a lot of fun. Um, we are absolutely opening this up to Iowa City art authors, uh, playwrights to start, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Um, the idea is that, you know, we want to give voice to people, and this is an exciting platform to do that. Yeah. If you are interested in auditioning and being an actor, there is a group on Facebook that's called The House is Open. And uh, we will be posting um, auditions in the way of events there in the future. So we'd love to have all of our community come on back. We miss everybody so much. Yes. And if you don't have Facebook, some people choose not to do Facebook. You can also just send us an email at that plays at Dreamwell thing and say, Absolutely. hey, I'm interested in acting or directing. I want to be popped into the, into the circulation for into the pool of talent. And we will certainly consider you and put you in something probably um so yeah thank you guys all for doing this thank you guys for thank listening you. it was so much fun 
All right, guys. Until next time.